0: First Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 12. I want you to look at it with me this morning. We left off at verse number 11. Uh, well, we kind of finished up some things Wednesday night. and uh, But we're in verse number 12 uh, this morning. And I want you to look at it. We're going to read down about verse number 17. This is really kind of a pause. It's a little break, if you will, from some of the business that Paul is dealing with. But it's a, it's a good pause. It's a good break. And so I'm, I'm excited to dig into it with you this morning. Here's what Paul said. He said, "'I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus.' This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal... Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen. And I want you to highlight and and uh, and and really notice this this uh, this break, if you will. I call it a praise break, and Paul is pausing just to thank God for saving his soul. How many are glad you saved this morning? I think people that are saved and people that are glad that are saved, they can't help but talk about it. They want to say something about it. They just want to say, hey. You know, every now and then, I like We had one of them services last week, didn't we, last Sunday morning, where people just had to stand up and say, man, I just want to thank God I'm saved. And so I want to preach on it. I couldn't think of a better title. I really couldn't this morning. I'm just going to use a real simple title this morning and preach on this thought. It's good to be saved. Amen. It's good to be saved. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He just wants to pause. He's got things he wants to talk to Timothy about. He's got things he needs to deal with. There's a lot of serious issues going on in the church at Ephesus that needs to be dealt with. But he just calls, calls a time out just for a minute and says, Timothy, I just want to tell you something. It's good to be saved. And so let's think about that this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us and excite our souls this morning. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have just to be here to open up your word. And Lord, I'm thankful for these These timely reminders in the Word of God that remind us that it's good to be saved. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt there's people walked in this building. Lord, they're down, they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're they're defeated about so many things in our world and in their home and in their lives and their own hearts. But God, I pray, Father, that for just a few minutes this morning that you would stir up the people of God and remind them that we are saved eternally and that it is good to be such. And Lord, I pray Father, if there's somebody in this building that has never been born again, never been truly saved, I pray that today would be the day that they would call on you and be saved before it's too late. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we know that this letter is an exhortation to Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Obviously, Timothy is tempted to leave. Obviously, there's some things that might be discouraging him just a little bit, and he might be ready to pack his bags and just get on out of here. But Paul says, Timothy, there's some things I need you to do. There's a worthy cause. There's business that needs to be done. There are things that need to be taken care of and you are the man to do it. And he begins to tell them about these things and and there'll be more that uh, that, that will unfold in front of our eyes as we open up this letter together. But the very first thing that he dealt with was doctrine. He said, Timothy, there are some people teaching false doctrine. There's some false doctrine going on. You've got to deal with this. And that's the very first issue that Paul was dealing with. There were those in the church that they were teaching law as a means to earn salvation or gain favor with God. These teachers were looking to, for the law to do what only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can do, and that is change a life. I want to tell you something that meeting Jesus absolutely changed, Paul. Paul's life. Paul knew something about religion and he knew something about salvation. He knew something about uh, trying to do good and do better and do right and something about God putting something right. On the inside of him, and I'm going to tell you something, friend. There's a difference between religion and a relationship. And Paul knew all about religion. In fact, he was the most religious person you'll ever meet. He was all about religion. In fact, you can read Philippians chapter two and three, Philippians three, I think it is, and he'll tell you all about how religious he was, and all of him. I mean, his heritage was right, and his his I mean, everything was just right about him. He did every he kept every rule, he kept every law, he kept he kept it all. But there was death on the inside. Can I tell you what? You can try to keep every rule. You can try to keep every law. Listen, you can be at church every time the doors are open. You can be baptized. You can even try to read your Bible every day and pray every day and keep every little ritual. But until Jesus Christ moves on the inside, until He changes your life, I am going to tell you, friend, you absolutely are missing out. You have absolutely nothing. You can be gun barrel straight and be just as empty, amen, as a gun. barrel and that's exactly what Paul was and where Paul was before he met Jesus and he knew these teachers were teaching something that can't change anybody. They're trying to hold everybody to some legalistic standard and Paul knew that ain't gonna help anybody. Listen, you can put new clothes on somebody. Listen, you can take them out of a bar room. Uh, Listen, you can put them on a church pew. You can put a King James Bible in their hand. You can even get them to sing in the choir but until Jesus is living on the inside ain't nothing's changed. Amen. Amen. Religion will put new Sunday clothes on a man, but salvation will put new, a new man inside Sunday clothes. Amen. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Religion will change you from the outside, but salvation will change you from the inside. You got to meet Jesus, you got to know Jesus. And that's the only way. And Paul is thinking about these things. He's thinking about the empty uh, teaching, the, the, the vain jangling of, the, uh, uh, of these teachers. It's just empty talk, just empty words. It don't change anybody's life. It don't do anything for anybody. And he just can't help but think about how thankful he is that Jesus one day interrupted his life and absolutely radically transformed his life. And I thought... Man, if we could just sum up this phrase with just a familiar just a familiar sentence, just a familiar phrase to us, sum up this passage with just a familiar phrase, it would just be this, it's good to be saved. And I just want to brag on the Lord just for a little bit, because that's what Paul's doing here as we come to this text. He's just bragging on the Lord for what he's done in his life. And he wants to take us to take note of a couple truths concerning salvation. I want to pass, this will be the simplest thing you hear today, but I want to just pass it along to you this morning. Just a couple truths concerning salvation. Salvation. Number one, Paul wants us to know first of all that he was saved by a person. He was saved by a person. He wants us to know that all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, it goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 12? He said, And I thank God. Christ Jesus our Lord. He said all the glory, it is not to the one who has been saved, but it is to the one who has saved us. That is the one that gets all the praise. That's the one that gets all the honor. That's the one that gets all the glory. Can I tell you what? That's why That's why the problem with this works-based salvation is it makes... It makes you the hero of the story, right? It makes you the Savior. It makes you uh, kind of you know, uh, cooperating, a co-redemptor, if you will. But that's not the way this thing is. Jesus does all the saving. He does it from zero to 100%. He does absolutely all of it, and that means that He gets all of the glory. He gets all of the praise. He gets all of the credit for it. And that's the problem with that legalism and the problem with trying to keep a law and hoping that saves you is that You know, you get to heaven, right? Based on your own works. And now you can say, look what I did. Look what I've done. But can I tell you, there will not be one saint of God in heaven that will be able to look at a mirror and give any praise, any honor, any glory. No, my friend, we will all be around the throne of God and we will all be lifting hands together and praising His name for the Lamb of God who shed His blood, who Thou hast redeemed us unto God. Thou art worthy of glory and honor and praise and power. It all belongs to Him. He alone is worthy. We have been saved by a person and that person's name is Jesus. He's the only one. There is not salvation, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name given um, uh, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That is the only name. There is one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ, Jesus. There is only one that can do the saving. The Catholic Church can't save you. The Mormon Church can't save you. The Jehovah's Witness Church can't save you. The Baptist Church can't save you. Only Jesus can save. Amen. You can give all your money. You can, you can help people. You can do everything. You want to do every good deed you can possibly think of. But if you've never bowed your knee before God and asked Him to save you, you've never been saved. And you ain't going to heaven. Amen. Amen. we have been saved by a person. He's the only one that can take us to heaven. He's the only one that gets the credit. And Paul knew that it was all Jesus. In fact... That's what he says in verse number 12. Look at that verse with me. In fact, he even knew the ministry that had been given to him. It was all Jesus. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You know what Paul said right there? You know why I am where I am? That's what Paul said. Do you know why I am where I am? Do you know uh, why I am in this place that I am? It's because Jesus put me here. I didn't put myself here. He gets all the glory. He gave me the power is what Paul said. That's what he said. He hath enabled me. He hath enabled me. There's nobody ever been saved that Jesus did not give the power to become the sons of God. That's what John 1 says. To as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. How about that? He gives us the power. He enables us. If you're able to serve God in any capacity, if you're able to do anything for the Lord, I want you to know that you are not doing anything of any value apart from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ if you can preach a message if you can sing a song if you can encourage somebody listen if you can do anything at all it is because He has enabled you to do it we're nothing without Him He gets all the glory He saved us He put us here He gave me the power He gave me the pardon Amen He said He counted me faithful Counting me faithful. You know what that word count means? It means to reckon it to be so. It means to, just to count it as being so. And sometimes, and this is amazing, He counted me faithful when I wasn't faithful. God put Paul in the ministry... Right after he got saved, when he was still just a a fresh babe in Christ, he hadn't even had time to prove himself. But God looked ahead and God credited something into his account that Paul did not have, and that was faithfulness. And I'm so glad when God sees me, He doesn't see me for what I am. He sees me for the righteousness and the faithfulness that has been deposited in my account. He counted me faithful. I'm not always faithful, but He counts me faithful. Isn't that amazing? That's the grace of our God. He gave me the power. He gave me the pardon. He gave me the position. He says He put me in the ministry. He put me here like a turtle on a fence post. Amen. I always say that, right? If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing. He didn't put himself there. Amen. Somebody else had to stick him right there. A turtle can't get on a fence post by himself. And that's exactly where we are. Listen, Ford, you put your thumbs in your suspenders. You think, well, I've been saved 20 years. and Look how far I've come and all these things. I want you to know something. God put you where you're at. God put you there. Listen, you couldn't even get yourself out of bed this morning if it wasn't for Him. He's the one that put you here, amen. We have nothing to boast in and of ourselves. We have nothing to brag about, nothing to glory in in this flesh. It's just a bunch. My flesh is just as wicked as anybody's. Your flesh is just as rotten as anybody's. The only good thing about us is He put a glorious, precious, valuable treasure in our earthen vessel, amen, and He changed our lives. It ain't what I am. It's what He is in me. Amen. And through me. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And anything that Paul did, he said, you can chalk it up. You can mark it up to the grace of God that was working inside of me. And you'll never be worth a flip for God. Amen. <laughs> Until you realize that, that you ain't worth a flip without God. Amen. God, help us. His thanksgiving. He's all about Jesus. He said, I just want to thank Jesus just for a minute. And he praises God. It's amazing how this text here that we read, verses 12 through 17, it's really, it's sandwiched. It's a sandwich. It's a big praise sandwich. All right. I'm mean, y'all getting hungry. No, I'm just kidding. It's what it is. There's, there's, there's praise on one side and there's praise on the other side. There's praise in the middle. And he's thanking God in verse 12. At the end of the the passage we read, verse number 17, it's it's a doxology, it's a a, a moment of praise. He said, look at verse 17, I'm just going to skip to the end here. He said, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes you just got to amen yourself. Amen. I do it all the time. Amen. So be it. Let it be. This is fact. Here it is. And he gives glory to God, the King Eternal, this thanksgiving and praise. It's the bookends of this passage right here. The, 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 the thinking, as he thinks about what God has done in his life, he thinks about his ministry, thinks about where he was, and what God has done in his life and is doing in his life, he couldn't help but lift his hands and just praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Thinking is dangerous. Amen. You better start thinking about what God has done in your life. You better watch out. You might start praising Him just a little bit. The reason some of you never praise Him is because you never stop think about it. All you think about is how bad things are and how awful things are and just everything. You're going to go eat a can of worms, right? Everybody hates you. Nobody likes you. You're just going to go eat worms. And everything's wonderful. If I asked you to stand up and give, a, you know, give, give us a, 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 a testimony, you'd have to think for a minute. But if we want to talk about problems, you'd keep us here all afternoon. We wouldn't be able to get away. Hey, man. You know, some people, they can just talk about their troubles. They know, I mean, you know you don't want to hear it. They know that you probably don't want to hear it, but they just can't quit talking about it. You said, you know, you give them, oh, really? And, oh, that's crazy. And, oh, how about that? You said it about 10 times, and they still won't let you go. They just want to talk about troubles and troubles and troubles and troubles and troubles. Man, what about what Jesus has done for you? What about what God's done in your life? What about thinking about what he's done? He's given all the glory to God. He praises God for his superiority. Verse 17, he said he's the King Eternal. He is the King Eternal. He reigns over all. He gives God glory for his immortality. That means he's the King Eternal, Immortal. That means he'll never die. That means he's never going to corrupt. That means he's never going to cease to exist. I'm going to tell you what, that's good news right there because this world passes away. Everything we put our hope in, everything that's bothering you right now is something that's temporary. Everything that's bothering you right now is something that's temporary. Amen. I'm going to tell you something about Him. He lives forever. Amen. He has given you eternal blessings. Praises Him for His superiority. Praises Him for His immortality. Praises Him for His invisibility. How about that? Calls Him the King invisible. What does that mean? It means you can't see Him. You've got to see Him through eyes of faith. What that means is you can't find Him, but He knows how to find you. Amen. You can't see Him, but He can see you. Thank God for it. And praises him for his exclusivity. He said he's the only wise God. There's only one. They ain't nobody like him. Amen. There's only one wise God. I'm going to tell you something. Only God listen, this world can't do for you what God can. So many people are looking at different places, looking for different things. I'm going to tell you, there's only one wise God. This worldly wisdom will defeat you. It will will cripple you. It will crush you. It will discourage you. That's what worldly wisdom will do. I'm going to tell you what godly wisdom will do. It will lift you up. It will help you. It will change your life. It will satisfy you. Only God can fill the void in your life. When's the last time that truth that Jesus has saved me, Jesus has changed me, Jesus has worked it. When's the last time that truth has got a hold of your heart? See, Paul's in the middle of talking about theology. He's in the middle of talking about doctrine. He's, in the middle, but I want you to know, it was more than just a doctrinal statement to Paul. It was more than just a set of rules. It was more than just a statement of faith. No, this thing about the gospel—it was something. It was more than just a, he can just check off a list of some of some uh, articles of uh, 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 faith or something like that. Jesus died. Check. Jesus was buried. Check. Jesus rose again. Check. Yeah, I believe all these things. And yeah, we're not saved by works. Check. You know, it's it's His grace. It's His mercy check check yeah we, it's more than just a set of facts it was something that was burning inside of his heart something that was on the inside and God help us we got some people man they know, they know what they believe they can sniff out heresy when it's that close but they ain't, they ain't gave God glory for saving their soul in 10 years come on now If all it is to you is a set of facts, if all it is is a doctrinal statement, if all it is is theology, and it never turns into doxology, it never turns into praise, and what you have is dead and dried up. Amen. You ought to thank God this morning that you're not going to hell, that He saved your soul, that He saved your heart, you saved your life. Man, it's good to be saved. Amen. And we give glory to the one who did the saving and does the saving. Not only does Paul say that, speaking of his salvation, that he's saved by a person, but secondly, he tells us in verse 13 that he's been saved from a past. Saved from a past. Look what he says in verse 13. He said, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's who he was before. Do you remember who you were before? You remember who you were before you met Jesus? You know, Paul never forgot who he was before he met Jesus. Now, he didn't live in the past, and he he, he pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He forgot those things which are behind. He didn't He didn't live in those things, but he never forgot where Jesus found him. He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer. Listen, Paul's testimony, it wasn't one like he was just indifferent toward Christ. It wasn't one that, you know, he just thought, well, you know, I really don't care about the church thing, and I really don't care about that religious stuff, and he just went about his own life doing his own thing. That was not Paul's testimony. Paul was one, he was hurting the church of God. He was persecuting the church of Christ. He had hatred in his heart. He had animosity. And that hatred fueled a passion for doing all that he could. Paul was a man who literally devoted his life to tearing down the faith and tearing down the testimony of Christ and tearing down anybody that got in his way, anybody that professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He went a hundred miles an hour Toward this wickedness. Toward doing everything he could to tear down God. And he said he did it ignorantly and unbelief. He said, I just didn't know. He said, "I didn't." can I tell you something about lost people? They just don't know. They don't know. And they don't know they don't know. They don't even know it. They're doing it ignorantly and unbelief. Listen, lost people. Don't be surprised when lost people act like lost people. Amen. Don't be surprised. They don't know. They don't know. You say, how can't you? Listen, you know because your eyes have been opened. You know because your minds have been enlightened by the good gospel of God, but they don't know. They just don't know they did it. And Paul was like that. He knew the law. He knew of Jehovah. He knew every story. But he never had his eyes open until he got blinded on the road to Damascus. Isn't that something? Until that light shined round about him. He just didn't know. He did it ignorantly and unbelief. And he said, I was an unbeliever, and I was ignorant, and I was a blasphemer, and I was a persecutor. He was just doing what lost people do. But I want you to notice these words. I underline these words in my Bible. Notice these words that pop up in in, in his testimony here. He said, but I obtained mercy. Man, I like that word mercy right there. We ought to thank God for mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God withholding what we deserve. You know what God should have done? You know what Jesus could have done to Paul on the road to Damascus? Of course. I know his name was Saul then. Don't get all technical on me. I'm going to keep calling him Paul if that's all right. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what Jesus could have done, maybe should have done, uh, and it and, and would have been. Uh, just in doing so when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus I mean he could have just slapped him upside of the head he could have knocked him off of his donkey he could have called fire down from heaven and consumed him right there and he would have been just in doing so Paul was a sinner Paul was against God Uh, Paul was ungodly Paul was a blasphemer of God Paul was a persecutor of God's church and he deserved death that's what he deserved but you know what Jesus did he came and gave him life you know what that is? When Jesus came and didn't kill him immediately, that was the mercy of God. I'm going to tell you something, friend. If you're breathing in and you're breathing out, that's the mercy of God. Every single one of us deserved to be in hell this afternoon with our back broke, but thank God for mercy. Oh, but it gets better now. It ain't just mercy. How many of y'all see in the next verse? There's the word grace pops up. He said, I obtained grace. And I think he uses a couple adjectives there right there. What does he say? He said, oh yeah, exceeding abundant. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. I remember Paul saying something in the book of Romans about where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You say, man, Paul was an awful sinner. He had a lot of sin. I would say absolutely, yes. But what you may not realize is Jesus had a lot of grace. Amen. How much ever sin you got? That's how much grace He has. Amen. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Words like mercy pops up. You know what grace is? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from you what you do deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Just look it around. Pretty much we're living in the grace of God. Everything we have is because of the grace of God. God gave him mercy. God gave him grace. I underlined the word faith and the word love. God gave him faith and God gave him love. Paul found mercy from God. Paul experienced an abundance of grace from God. God gave Paul something he'd never had before. Gave him a faith he'd never had before. Gave him a love he'd never known before. Changed something on the inside of him. And he said, That's who I used to be. Can I tell you something? When grace comes by your way, when you're truly saved by the good grace of God, you ain't what you used to be. Amen. He said, that's my past. That's who I used to be. Now he's building up the faith that he used to destroy. God has absolutely changed his life. He was saved from. That's genuine salvation. Now listen, your experience ain't going to look like Paul, Paul's experience, and Paul's experience don't look like my experience, but it don't matter. Listen, we all have different unique testimonies, but we all have the same Jesus living on the inside, and He makes a difference in our life. I'll tell you what, I'm glad. Like I think as John Newton said, he said, I'm not what ought to be and not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Amen. I'm glad Jesus has made a change in my life. Paul could look back and say, that's what I used to be and here's where I am now. Isn't that a blessing? Can you see that change in your life? And lastly, this morning, I want you to see not only he was saved by a person, he was saved from a past. But I want you to see in these last few verses here is that Paul was saved as a pattern. As a pattern. That's what he, that's what he says verse 16, he uses that word pattern there. For a pattern to them which you hereafter believe on Him, to life everlasting. Verse 15, though, is probably, it's got to be up there on one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. I love First 1 Timothy 1.15. Are you looking at it with me? This is a faithful saying. You know what that means? It's true all the time. Every single time, in every single circumstance, every day of the week, it's always true. It's faithful. It's always right, it's always true. And he said, it's worthy of all acceptation. That means it is worthy of you accepting it as true. It is worthy for you to receive it and to accept it. It, will, it is worth it, is what he said. It's worthy. It means it's worth it. It is worth it. In fact, I'm telling you,, can' tell you, mm, it's being saved worth it to anybody. He said it's worth it. Listen, if you if you will receive this say it. if you will take it, if you will accept it, it is absolutely worth it. It will absolutely change your life. Amen. And one of the greatest statements is made here in our Bibles, one of, the, one of the greatest statements. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What Paul's stating here is that his salvation experience. Listen, this is good. It's amazing, Paul. Okay, we all see what God did in your life, Paul. You were a sinner, a blasphemer, persecutor, ignorant, unbeliever, all those things. Look at what, look at what God's done in your life. and that's great. That's great. But what Paul wants us to realize here is this, is that his experience was not totally unique to him. Now, the details might be a little different, but if God could save somebody like Paul, then God could save anybody. Isn't that amazing how God reached down into the worst of the worst and made them the best of the best? So we could just have a pattern and have a picture and we could know that if God could save somebody... And Paul was a testimony. His testimony was a light to all of the Gentiles, to all of the Jews. It was a shining light, something they could not get past, something they could not get over. And it exclaimed to everybody that if God could save somebody like Paul, He could save absolutely anybody. Why? Because that's what Jesus comes to do. This is a principle. Paul wants us to know that this is not a unique experience. This is not just something that that, that lives and dies with him. No, this is what, what happened in his life. That's what Jesus came to do. What happened in his experience, that's what Jesus does. And the experience has been repeated over and over and over and over and over for thousands of years since Paul has been saved. It has happened over and over. In fact, we got a room full of people this morning that could raise their hand and testify, yes, what happened to Paul has happened to me. I can say that Jesus has come to save sinners. Because I am one and He saved my life. He saved my soul. So God, used Paul as a picture, as a pattern of what the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ can do. Man, let that say and get deep down in your heart. Don't ever, don't ever forget that. Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And don't ever let that get... I mean, think about that. Christ Jesus. Think about who He is. Talking about the One who is God the Son, preexistent, co-eternal, co-existent with the Father before the foundation of the world ever existed. There was God the Son. There was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Nothing. Everything that was made was made by Him. Isn't that amazing? There He is the Word. I'm talking about the Prince of Glory. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget who He is. And then when you think about how amazing He is and who that actually is that it's talking about there, you think about that next phrase where it says that He came into the world. Man, let that... Listen... And that that ain't just that you can have some kind of holiday with some fat man in a red suit and flying reindeer all around. No, 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 friend. That's so you didn't have to die and go to hell. He came into the world. What condescension? Born of a virgin. Lived a sinless life. Died on an old rugged cross. Got up victorious three days later. Talking about He came into this world. This world that you and I live in. He lived on this earth. He died on this earth. He arose on this earth. And then he ascended into heaven. And what was the purpose of all that? He said to save sinners. He did it all to save a bunch of people that didn't even love him. He did it all to, to heal people that would eventually crucify him and put him on a cross. He did it because he loves sinners. I'm going to tell you, that's the kind of God we have. That's the heart of our God. That is it right there. That's the crux of all of it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is in the saving business. He did it for wretched sinners. And you got to understand that you're a sinner. Listen, if you're not a sinner, that ain't going to mean anything to you. If you don't realize who you are, if you won't recognize who you are, if you won't admit who you are and what you are, listen, that that don't mean anything to you. It's like when somebody tells me they're going on vacation. That don't mean anything to me. Unless you say, and preacher, we're taking you with us. We got several out on vacation today. Praise God for them. are glad they're getting some time away. But... We ain't praying for them, amen. We don't pray for people on vacation. They need to pray for us because we're not on vacation. Somebody says, I won the lottery. That's great. Well, you don't need to gamble. But other than that, that's great. It don't mean anything to me. I ain't getting any of that. But when that saying, when it's read into my, my heart and my mind, I tell you, that means something to me. You know why? Because he came to save sinners. I'm a sinner. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Them that are whole, they don't need a physician. They don't need a doctor. But them that are, that are sick, they do. If you'll ever realize how sick you are, if you'll ever realize how lost you are, then you'll get to realize what a wonderful Savior He is. What a wonderful Savior it is. is. I mean, just, just wicked people. The kind of people that's mentioned in verse nine and verse number ten. Just look at that list. I'm not going to take time to read it all, but verse nine and verse ten. Just the that's the kind of people that the law exposes, and so we can see who Jesus is. How about that? Paul knew he knew who he was in Christ. He knew his positional truth, but at the same time, in humility. He humbly realizes that he is one of the ones that Jesus came to save. And I love that last phrase of verse 15. He says, Of whom I am chief. I'm the top. It's amazing. Every time Paul gives his testimony, he gets more wicked and more wicked. Isn't that right? When he gave it in in, uh, 1 Corinthians, he just says, He's the least of all the apostles. In Ephesus, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if you stack up all the the, uh, uh, apostles and rank them all, he said, I'm at the very bottom. Yeah, but Paul, you're still an apostle. That's pretty good. You read Ephesus, or Ephesians, his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. Rank up everybody that's saved. He said, I'm at the very bottom of all of them. And then when we get to 1 Timothy, he's at the end of his life. You know what he realizes? He said, if you were to rank all the sinners, he said, I'm number one. You know what that is? That's humility. That's recognizing who you are without Jesus Christ. And By the way, he didn't say, of whom I was, chief. He said, of whom I am, chief. He said, I still know what I am apart from the grace of God, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in verse sixteen, he said, "Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should believe hereafter, which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting." He said, "God save me," so he could show everybody else that if he could save somebody like me, if he could save the chief, he can save all the Indians. Amen. I don't think that's politically correct, but we're going to go with that. If he can save the worst of all the sinners, then he can save anybody. I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you've done, but I'm here to tell you if God could save somebody like old Paul, he could save you. He could save you. Amen. It's just good to be saved, isn't it? No wonder Paul couldn't help but, in verse 17, no wonder he couldn't help but just break out doxology and praise. Just say, God, I give you glory. I give you praise. I give you honor for saving my soul. Don't ever, ever forget where he found you. Don't ever forget where you'd be apart from the grace and the mercy of God. And I'm praying for some in here, some of you, maybe you're saved, but you just forgot, just forgot how good it is to be saved. Let this whole world get to you. That's what happens when you think more about Washington, D.C. than you do about heaven. Amen. That's what happens when you start looking more and thinking more and worrying more about gas prices than you do what God's doing in your life and in your heart. I'm going to tell you something. It's good to be saved. I don't care what this world does. This world, is going to hell in a handbasket, no doubt about it. But I ain't going. Amen. (laughs) I ain't going. Jesus, and it ain't me, ain't nothing I've done, it's all him. <laughs> it's everything he's done. It's just good to be saved.